Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Can we give our Lord and Savior this morning a big hand clap of praise? Can we lift our voice and thank Him for everything that He is doing and everything that He is going to do? We love you, Jesus. Love you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn to John chapter 15. We are going to have quite a lengthy read this morning, so if you would just bear with me. For all intent and purposes, this is our Christmas service. We know that we celebrate Christmas year-round. It's not just one time a year that we celebrate the fact that God robed himself in flesh and came to this earth to save us from our sin. And so with that said, I just I, I know that I stand between you and probably one of the best meals that we could ever possibly eat. We, we do have some very good cooks around here, and I'm looking forward to that too. But I don't want to just go through motions this morning. I don't, I don't want to just rush through this, but I really think God would speak to us today. He's already been speaking. He's already been talking to us, and I think that he's going to do that again today. We're going to start reading in John chapter 15 with verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 13. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my, my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my, wor- in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And I'm just going to talk to you today from a a very simple subject. Simply abide. 
Can we just put our Bibles down and can we lift our hands right now? Can we sincerely ask God that he would move right now in this place? God, we love you. God, I stand before you humble, God, that you've allowed me to stand in this very spot. And, Lord, I don't deserve to be here, but, Lord, you have called me to this place, and I want to do your will. I want to carry out your purpose, Lord. I'm asking you to anoint me, God, to speak your word. And I'm asking you, Lord, to, as a congregation, God, that you would bind us together, open our hearts and our minds, and help us to receive your word together. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. You may be seated. I guess the inspiration for this particular day came about from an article that I read some weeks ago. It uh, came from a lot of research that the Pew Research Center does. If you've never heard of the Pew Research, they, they do a lot of political and religious research in in america and they and they categorize that and and they uh it's all it's like statistics and so i won't read the whole article for the sake of time but i I do want to bring out some key points so according to the survey and the analysis that pew research did they find that millennials that's uh, a, a younger group of of young people that are coming about millennials were born in around the age uh of the new millennium. They're, they range from the ages of 18 and 33. Now, this message is not about millennials, but it just started out that way. It said, very, very strikingly said, they are drifting away from traditional institutions, both political, religious, and cultural. It said, half of millennials now describe themselves as political independents, and 29% are not affiliated with any religion. Those are numbers that are at or near the highest levels of religious disaffiliation that has been recorded in the last quarter century. Just 26% of them are married. When they were at their age, 36% of Generation Xers, 48% of the baby boomers, and 65% of the members of the silent generation were married. They asked a long-standing social science survey question. Generally speaking, would you say that most people can be trusted or that you can't be too careful in dealing with people? Just 19% of millennials say that most people can be trusted compared to much higher numbers in older generations. Millennials are digital natives the only generation for which the internet, mobile technology, and social media are not something that they've had to adapt to. They were simply born into it. Younger people in general, in general, are less likely to say that they are patriotic or religious. And although half of the millennials describe themselves as independent, A whopping 57% of them say that their views on social issues have become more liberal over the course of their lives. This is what the article ended with. All in all, we seem to be experiencing a wave of liberal-minded detachees, a generation in which institutions are subordinate to the individual 
and social networks are digitally generated rather than interpersonally accrued. I believe that in the world we live, real meaningful relationships have taken a back seat to distant, casual acquaintance. Generally speaking, people are becoming increasingly distant in families, in friendships, in churches, and in society as a whole. This overall disconnect has created a vacuum and it has created an obsession with self. But with the church, we cannot and must not be infatuated and obsessed with ourselves, but we must be infatuated and obsessed with carrying out the mandate of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about me, and it's not about you, but it's about him. It's about a cross at Calvary. It's about Jesus Christ. And if there is one thing that I believe that God is wanting from us and for us in this hour, it is relationship. It's relationship with him, and it is relationship with the church. It's relationships that will connect us. And it's that connection that will keep us. The Bible says that he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. We must stay connected. If I allow myself to disconnect, I make myself vulnerable to a whole lot of things in this world. I first must realize that my only source my only source for hope, my only source for spiritual nourishment is Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. I must be vigilant and I must be deliberate to stay connected to Him. I do that first and foremost by receiving a revelation of who He is. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my Father is the husbandman. The scene in the upper room that we just read, it, 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 it certainly was not necessarily a scene of good cheer. It wasn't just all hunky-dory. They weren't having just the greatest times of their lives. It wasn't just a party. We need to know that. We need to see that. It was a great time of great confusion and great strife. It was a time of transition and the disciples were at odds with each other there were arguments as to who would be the greatest among them and who was going to be in charge who would be the least they were establishing a pecking order but in the midst of all of this Jesus establishes the pecking order he establishes who will be the head who will be in charge we find them right after the Passover supper. They're in the upper room. He's already washed their feet. He's already giving them example after example. And has begun to explain his impending crucifixion. Between the upper room and the garden, Jesus explains exactly what he expects out of them. He begins by saying, I am the true vine. He begins by reiterating them again who he is. You see, he's the head and he's in charge. He's not just a vine. He is the true vine. 
He is the, general, the genuine article. And so it stands to reason that if he thought it was so important to say, I am the true vine, then that means that there is an alternate vine. Can I just pause here and tell you there's a lot of things in this world right now to date. You can almost stand outside and just put your finger on something that will tell you that that's the right way to go and that's the right thing to do. There's so many philosophies out there. There's so many ways of thinking that can pollute your mind that say that they are the way to go. But I'm telling you, all roads don't lead to Rome. And although some of them are noble, some of them may seem that they are right, there is only one real, true way to go. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's his death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's the only pathway to true salvation. It's the only way that we can obtain true salvation. Through his death, we repent of our sins, and we are buried with him in baptism, in water, by immersion, in the only saving name, which is Jesus Christ, and we are resurrected with him in new birth with the infilling of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. This is the word. This is his word. This is his instruction, and it is his idea, and it has never changed from that point forward even to this very moment. It is still the same because his word will stand for eternity. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. That's why I've got to abide in the word. His word is the only real instruction that will result in absolute success. The word of God literally contains everything that we need. The Bible says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Timothy said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Well, let's look at John 15 and 7 in the Amplified. Jesus said, if you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts. Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. Our primary goal should be and always should be to live a life of victory that is above sin. But not staying connected to that source will allow sin to overcome. That's why David said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my, my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. I cannot allow myself to become disconnected from the word. I've got to get it in me, and I've got to get in the word. I can't allow myself to get connect, disconnected from the preached word of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
I'm telling you, we need a man of God in our lives that has rooted himself in the word, that can speak that word into our lives. We can't become disconnected from that. I must thoroughly expose myself to the word of God and allow it to live inside of me. That's why he said, abide in me. He gave us a promise that if we will abide in him, that he will abide in us. Speaking directly of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When we receive the Holy Ghost, we receive the word of God on the inside of us. He said the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. That spirit on the inside will work inside of you and and lead you into all truth. This, this takes place when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so there's a, there's a reason for all this. There's a reason for everything that I'm saying this morning. Jesus, he, he, he referred to it as fruit. There's a reason for the, the, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Yes, it's essential to salvation. But there's more, so much more to it than that. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. In verse 4, he said, abide in me and I in you. The, The amplified version says, dwell in me and I will dwell in you. Live in me and I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding and being vitally united to the vine. The fruit Jesus is speaking of here is is love. He's speaking of the fruit of the Spirit, but at the very foundation is love. I know this is lengthy, but John 15, 7 through 13 in the Amplified. If you live in me, Abide vitally united to me and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts. Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. There are contingencies for God working in your life. Not that there are strings attached, but there are some, there are some things that are required of us because he went on to say when you bear fruit, My Father is honored and glorified, and you show and prove yourselves to be followers of mine. It's proof positive that we belong to him. I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Continue in his love with me. If you keep my commandments, if you continue to obey my instructions, you will abide in my love and live on in it, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and live on in his love. He said, this is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love. No one has shown stronger affection than to lay down or give up his own life for his friends. At the core of everything we do, everything must be love. To have love, I must abide in him and he in me, which is the spirit of God in filling. The word abide means to continue, 
to continue without fading or being lost. And when I continue, I allow the Spirit to help me produce more fruit. Galatians 5 and 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. If we are going to be the people of God, if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, we must produce love. Jesus did not, he didn't suggest this. This was not just something that he said this would be a good idea if you could get around to it, but he commanded it. Jesus and many other Bible writers use the word love. And this particular word here in the Greek is agapaho. And it's where we get the word agape, which is brotherly love, affection, goodwill, love, benevolence. It actually says that it is a love feast. It can be compared to, to another word that is used, which is phileo, but Agape is, is, is defined as the selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love. It is the deepest meaning of the word. It takes it a step further than just what we would call love, and it puts it in a category of love that Jesus himself has shown us by sacrificially laying down his life and dying for the remission of our sins. This command, hear me today, is much harder than it looks. To love unconditionally is so much more than just reading it off a page and saying, okay, I can do that. Because it's more than that. It's, it's more than just saying. It's doing. It isn't casual. It's intentional. It cannot be peripheral. It must be up close and personal because that's what he did. And without it, there's only one other option. Revelation 2 and 1 through 6. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden candlestick. I know thy works and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. But verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. That's why he said I am the vine and ye are the branches. If a man abide not in me he is cast forth as a branch and is withered 
And men gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is why he warns them of becoming disconnected from the source. Because without him, we cannot produce a selfless love. Without him, we produce a selfish love. One based on conditions and one that is in our best interest. And a selfish love only consumes and it only destroys. A self-centered attitude will only result in absolute failure. It's more than just professing it with your lips. But we've got to show it. It's more than just saying it. But we've got to produce it. Jesus Christ is looking for men and for women that will deny themselves and take up their cross. He's looking for men and women who will forsake the world's philosophy on what love is and sell out unconditionally unto him in his will and his way. His commandment was simply this, that we love one another. Can I tell you today that the world doesn't need another self-help doctrine. It doesn't need another prosperity line message. It sounds simple, I know, but what this world needs is love, love, love. It needs love, but not the way the world views love or its definition of it. The world needs true, undefiled love. They need to see a people that love one another and exhibit that love of Jesus genuinely and openly. But it cannot be produced by intellect or will. You cannot simply will yourself into loving people the way God in love, people. It isn't humanly possible. You cannot produce His love on your own or apart from Him or His people. We are living in a society that is telling our children that it's okay to be disconnected, it's telling them that it's okay to be uninvolved and detached. It's telling them it's okay to be distant, but it's not okay. Our children need to see us love each other the way he has loved us. Our world, our world needs to see love the way it's supposed to be. And the only way, the only way they're going to see it is from the church. That's the only way. If we're going to profess to be the church of the living God, we've got to act like the church of the living God. We've got to understand that that comes with great price and great responsibility. You see, the church has purpose. The church was born out of purpose. It was born into purpose. Jesus in the synagogue said, they said, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit 
of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And it didn't stop there. The Bible says, and he closed the book. He gave it unto the minister and sat down. He gave it to the church. We now have the responsibility to preach the gospel. We now have a mandate to reach the lost. Jude 1 and 17, but beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there would be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Look at this. These are they these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Let me tell you something. That is real love. That's not lip service. That's real, unadulterated love. That doesn't mean that we should beat people over the head. I understand this. I know that we should speak the truth in love. But that doesn't negate the responsibility to preach the truth. If there has ever been a time for the church to arise and be the church. That time is now. I don't think there's ever been a time for the church not to be the church, but if there ever was a time, that time is now. I believe, I believe that God is positioning this church and the church for something very, very tremendous. I believe it's something that we can't even wrap our minds around. We can't even see it from where we are. But he is positioning us for something very great. And any time, hear me, any time there is transition, any time the enemy will attempt to frustrate and to cause confusion, I sometimes, and I say this with the greatest respect, I'm placing myself in this message. But I don't really think sometimes that we realize what type of battle that we're in. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle of our minds. We're battling our flesh and we're battling the enemy on a daily basis. And I think sometimes we can just become disconnected and not realize where we are and who we are. We're fighting a real enemy. And he is strategically attacking our world. He's attacking our families. And he's attacking our churches. And sadly, in some cases, he's succeeding. We are literally, not figuratively, we are literally seeing this play out on a daily basis. 
Over the past few decades, our society has seen a rapid degeneration of moral value. We are experiencing an increase in blatant, outright, in-your-face sin. It is a direct result of an overall disconnect from traditional Christian values. The world is trying to attempt to discount and discredit and, and, and dilute everything that God has said. It's trying to pollute and dilute and rationalize every word and every command and every precept. And it's time for the church to arise. It's time for the people of God to, to arise and experience a revival in every life, every life that we have never experienced before. It's time for the people of God to lean in and connect to what he is doing and what he is saying in this hour. Jesus did not simply come to this earth that we would have a story to tell one time a year. And I'm coming to a close if our musicians will come. He didn't, he didn't come to this place. He didn't, he didn't do it just so that we could have a cool story to tell. He didn't do it so that we would just have a year that we could just have a program, a nice little program, and sing a few songs and then have a meal. That's not what he did it for. I mean that with the greatest respect, but that's not what he did it for. John 1, 1 1 John 4 and 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. God is the highest form of love. What he did was not only saying, but it was doing. He is true love. He is unconditional, unwavering, unspotted, without reproach, and without condemnation. He is and was the lamb for sinners slain from the foundation of the world. He is and was love before any of us knew what love really is. Love literally not figuratively, literally, came down to this earth. He could have been the richest, most successful person in the eyes of the world that it has ever seen. Instead, he was the most humble to ever walk it. The one who created heaven and earth was born into a muddy, cold, and damp stable. You see, he was born into it so that we could be born out of it. He was born into it so that we could be born out of it. He was born to die so that we could have a new birth and from this have newness of life. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. We've been given everything we need. But it's up to me 
And it's up to you to plug into it and to connect. And as we stand this morning, all across this building, I wonder if we could just lift our hands for a moment. Oh, God, we love you today. <laughs> but if I can tell you today, it's too late. It's too late in the game to be vacillating in and out. It's too late in the game to be worried about what's happening after service. It's too late in the game to be worried about what's going on in the world. Fact of the matter is this, we cannot do this apart from God, not as individuals, not as a church. If I disconnect now, I will fail. If I disconnect now, I run the risk of getting caught out there in no man's land when he decides to come. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And there is a reason for the church. And each one of us that sound is under the sound of my voice has a calling on their life, whether you want to believe that or not. Everybody in this building has purpose. Everyone is here for a purpose. You've been called for such a time as this, but whether or not you fulfill that purpose today is only up to you. So can I tell you today, let go of whatever it is that is hindering you from serving God. Let go of whatever it is that's hindering you from living for Him to your fullest potential. Cast off whatever it is that's attempting to rob you of a deep and intimate relationship with Him. If we are going to have revival as a church, each one of us has to experience their own personal revival. We must connect. We must reconnect. And then we must stay connected. Many of you don't know her, but many of you will re recognize her name. Her name is Myrtle Dees. I have never met her. However, I am forever in her debt. She was from this area, but her story began over 70 years ago. See, God began to deal with her concerning the Godhead, baptism in Jesus' name. And she began to pray and seek God. and She asked him to send someone who would confirm what she was feeling. You know what she was doing? She was abiding. Soon after, God did answer that prayer, and he sent a man that preached that very message. Revival meetings followed, and God gave the increase. And they began to pray and fast for God to send a man to pastor that early work. You know what they were doing? They were abiding. 
God did send a man and his wife to pastor this church. Reverend Carl D. and Maddie Tummond. They preached the word. They were instant in season and out of season. They reproved. They rebuked. Exhorted with all long-suffering and doctrine. They preached the truth of God's word. And they passed that down to their children. And their children's children. Do you know what they were doing? They were abiding. They were continuing in the faith. I never had the honor of meeting them. But they are why I'm here today. They're the reason you're here today. And they're the reason why we have what we have. They never knew my name. But they continued. There is a generation that is coming behind us that need us to abide in Him. (laughs) People that haven't even walked through the doors yet are counting on you and me to abide in Him, in Him alone. We must wake up and understand who we are and who He is and what is expected of us. And the only way to do it is to abide in Him, to bind together in one heart, one mind, and in one accord, and allow the Spirit and the presence of God to lead us and guide us into our tomorrows. We must earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This is not a message of condemnation. I hope that it's a message of conviction. I hope that it will grip our hearts and help us to understand the value of what we're doing when we come to this place. I hope that it will grip us and we will feel the weight of responsibility on our lives today. Can we just spend a few more moments in this place abiding in Him? These altars are open right now. If you if you need to reconnect, would you do that right now? Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voice and would you lift your heart to heaven and ask Him to touch you right now? Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. <laughs> This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.